0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 have us, uh, give to us the preaching of Jesus. In fact, it's his very famous and great Sermon on the Mount. But at the end of chapter 7, that sermon is finished, and now as we begin chapter 8... Jesus is coming down off the mountain with this great crowd of people that he had preached to, following him down into Capernaum. And as he comes down off the mountain, everyone with any kind of trouble is coming up to him and asking for his help. Now, this this Matthew chapter eight reads in some, well, at least in my imagination, it reads like a, an action movie. There's one thing happen happening after another, and the scenes are almost overlapping. In fact, if if you want to take a, your homework can be to read the rest of Matthew 8 uh, today or sometime this week. And you'll see that Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He gets into Capernaum. Uh, The people are coming to him in Capernaum. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she's sick, so he heals her. And then he's up all night with people being brought either sick or having trouble with demons. The people are being brought to Jesus, so he's up all through the night. The next day, he says, we've got to get out of here. So they go across the sea, and he falls asleep in the boat, but the storm is about to drown them, and he wakes up, and he calms the sea, and he makes it to the other side. And as soon as they get to the other side, there's these two men full of demons living in the cemetery that come down, and Jesus heals them, sends the demons into the pigs. They rush into the sea. Jesus leaves I mean, that's just one chapter, all that and it and it, it shows really. I mean, the way Matthew gives it to us, it's really quite beautiful. That Jesus just couldn't help himself. Whenever anybody had any sort of trouble, he would he would he would help them. He would heal them. He would rescue them. He would deliver them. He would give them exactly what they what they needed. But it does seem to me like there's a tension between the teaching of Jesus and the healing work of Jesus. In in this way, it it seems and especially. I think this comes out in Mark, but it, even here in Matthew, it's Jesus Jesus wants to teach. He comes to teach. But he, it's almost like the, the people won't let him teach. They have so many needs. They're coming and pressing in. and But instead of sending them away, he just can't help. It. Jesus just welcomes in everybody and heals them. To his own, I mean, it causes him a lot of trouble. So that Jesus can't, after a while, Jesus can't even enter into a city. He has to they have to. Him and the disciples have to live out in the wilderness because whenever they go into the city, they're they're surrounded by these great crowds. I mean, just in Matthew eight, that Jesus can't can't even sleep all night because he just can't let send anyone away. He's, he's receiving them all. Now there's this tension then between the healing of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, and I and I think the reason again is that when Jesus teaches, it benefits absolutely everybody that hears it. It benefits the people that he's preaching to. It benefits their family and their friends as they go home. They tell what Jesus had preached, the wisdom of the kingdom of God. It benefits, I mean, it continues to benefit even us. It benefited your grandparents, your great-grandparents. If the Lord tarries, the preaching of Jesus and the teaching will will benefit your great-grandkids so that the teaching blesses everyone who hears it while the miracles only bless the people that receive the miracles. So that Jesus wants to, I mean, he he can't help but heal, but he wants to teach. But heal he does, and over and over and over. Now, what I want to point out, John tells us at the end of his gospel, that all the miracles of Jesus were written down in books, the world wouldn't be big enough to contain the library to hold them. Jesus did thousands and thousands, thousands of miracles. But the Holy Spirit has seen to it that the evangelists, and in our case this morning, that the evangelist Matthew has written down a few of those miracles for us so that we can see them and we can rejoice in them. In other words, the Holy Spirit has chosen, and especially we have these two miracles today, that we would know of these miracles so that they would teach us. Jesus teaches us through the miracles that he performs. We can consider them then preaching miracles, and we want to let them preach to us. Now we have two of them this morning. The first is the man with leprosy. We remember that leprosy was a particularly terrible disease. It was a skin infection. It It would eat away at your flesh. It would destroy your nerves. It was very contagious so that people with leprosy were not allowed to live with other people. And this was not only according to Moses, but just, I mean, every culture basically had a provision for people with leprosy that they would be removed from normal civilization and they would live apart in leper colonies where everyone who had leprosy would would live together and try to help each other as best they could. I think it's really quite a, a terrifying thing to think of all the damage that leprosy does. I mean, not just to the body, you see, this is the point. It doesn't just do damage to the body, but it does damage to society. It does damage to the love for your neighbor. It does damage to your family. So that if you have leprosy, you have to go and, and, and live apart and, and live away. And it also does damage to your, the, the, just the disease itself, it does such a damage to your body that you don't know how bad you're off, how, how sick you actually are. So there is, and this is from ancient times. The church has this parallel between leprosy and sin, and and it, and and this is one of the reasons why is because when you have leprosy, you don't know how you don't know how sick you are. I had to go to the dentist this week. This, this is not necessarily a confession of sin, but it's just close, it's pretty close. I had to go. He was doing work, and so he had to numb my face. twice. Eesh. And we were eating dinner. At, uh, had dinner on the table, but I was afraid to eat dinner because I couldn't feel my mouth. And I was sure that you know this is what happens: is you're chewing and you bite into your tongue or you bite into your cheek and you just don't even feel it, right? You know what I'm talking about? That, well, that's so that's that's leprosy, but all over your body. I mean, can, can you imagine that? That you can't feel your fingers or your your hands or your feet or your legs, so that if you if you crush your hand or you stub your toe or you Cut your leg. You just can't. You can't feel the damage that's been done there. So it is with sin. We, we, we are so we are so corrupt. We are so fallen. We are so sick with sin that we don't actually know how bad we are. We can't feel how broken we are. The Holy Spirit has to come with the Scriptures to show it to us to expose the depravity of our own sinful nature. I mean, we, we might, just, just to think of this, we, we might by nature know that we've messed up, that we haven't done everything like we ought to have done, that we haven't been as good as we should have been. But it takes the Holy Spirit to show us that we actually do truly deserve God's wrath and hell itself. It takes the Holy Spirit to show us the depth and the total depravity of our sinful nature. It's the difference between a man who falls off a ladder and breaks his ankle versus the man that falls off the ladder and breaks his back. I mean, if you have a broken ankle, you know you can feel it and you know you need help. But the other guy can't feel anything at all. He doesn't even know what's wrong. And that's you and me. And that's the leprosy of sin. It's confused us. It, it confuses our sense of right and wrong. It confuses our knowledge of ourselves and the knowledge of God and his holiness so that we don't even know how dangerously sinful we are until the Bible comes along and tells us how sinful we are. We don't know how badly we need the death of Jesus to save us until the Bible tells us how much we need the death of Jesus. Now, according to the law of Moses... If you had leprosy, you were considered unclean. Not only could you not go into the camp or into the village, but you couldn't go into the temple. And you had to announce it to anybody who came near you. I mean, this is, Moses says, if you have leprosy, and the priest diagnoses you with leprosy, you have to stand off from people, you have to stand downwind, not upwind, and if anybody were to come near you, you have to yell out, unclean, unclean, to give them a warning to stay away. And, important for us as we look at this text, Moses had strictly forbidden anybody from touching someone with leprosy. If you were to touch someone with leprosy, you yourself would become unclean and had to follow all the provisions given to the lepers. Now, here we are in the text, and and, in Matthew chapter Jesus is up on the mountain, and he's coming down off of the mountain. And you have to kind of picture it yourself, this sloping hill that comes down down towards the sea, down towards Capernaum, which is nestled right on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, in this green sloping hill. And Jesus is walking down, and it says a great crowd is following behind him. So this huge mass of people can see Jesus leading the way down towards Capernaum. And as Jesus is walking towards Capernaum, along the side comes a man, and the people, as as he gets closer, can recognize that he has leprosy. He's not supposed to be walking towards them. He's supposed to be walking away from them. He's supposed to be yelling, unclean, but instead he's praying, Lord, have mercy. And this one comes and falls before Jesus. you, You can imagine watching it. He falls before Jesus and falls down and worships him. And if you were up close in the crowd, you could hear what he says. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then the text says, stunningly, that Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. And he reaches out and he touches him he touches this man with leprosy now now what happened in the crowd did they gasp did they groan did they laugh that kind of you know that nervous laugh that you that you laugh with when you see something important but you don't know what to do about it did they do that they saw jesus put his hands on the leper And if they would have kept following Jesus, they would have seen this happen all the time. Jesus always would see the leprous man and would touch them, put his hands on their head to heal them. Jesus would go and eat with sinners. Jesus would talk with tax collectors and with prostitutes. Jesus would welcome into his conversation the most undesirable sorts of people. He would would rub shoulders with those who were troubled with the demons. Jesus, to pick up the language from Paul in Romans 12 from our epistle lesson, Jesus associated himself with the lowly, with the humble, with the poor, the sick, and the weak, and the foolish, and the dirty, and the contagious, and the compromised, and the abused, and the cast away, and the sinner. I mean, it, did not ma- it did not matter for Jesus how far off on the edge you were, how close to the friend you were, Jesus would come to you. And he would find you. And he would reach out his hand and he would touch you. And he would make you clean. Now that's the preaching of this miracle. That's the preaching of this miracle to us. And that's the preaching of the good news. That it does not matter. It does not matter. Unclean, unclean we pray. Unholy, unworthy. That we should, not have, we should not be able to stand in the presence of God. We should not be welcomed into his kindness. And yet Jesus comes to us. He comes right up to us and he is not afraid. He grabs a hold of you, a sinner. He grabs a hold of you and he calls you his friend. I'm willing, says Jesus. Be clean. And then we have another miracle that will preach to us. When Jesus and this crowd comes down now into Capernaum, there is a centurion. He's a Roman officer. He's over a battalion of a hundred Roman soldiers, and he must be stationed there in Capernaum. And he comes up to Jesus to beg for a miracle. This centurion had a servant, apparently a servant that he cared for greatly, who was paralyzed and also in agony, terrible affliction, it says in the text. Now, we don't, know, we don't know again the background of how this man ended up paralyzed. It must have been an accident or a sickness that brought on the paralysis because otherwise he wouldn't have been the servant of this centurion. And Jesus hears his prayer, and Jesus offers now to come to his house and to heal the servant, but the centurion refuses this offer from Jesus and says, and I think this is why this miracle is recorded for us. This is what it's going to preach to us. The centurion says, Lord... I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, to my servant, do this, and he does it. At least he used to until he was paralyzed. But now no longer Now the servant can't move. Now the servant is writhing in bed, unable to serve, barely alive. So the centurion confesses to Jesus and to us that he knows what authority is, and he knows how far his authority goes and stops, and that he knows that the authority of Jesus is greater. That Jesus could speak the word, do this, to his paralyzed servant, and he would do it. That Jesus only needs to speak the word, and the servant would be healed. Times in the Gospels, where Jesus is sort of overwhelmingly astonished at a person's faith. This is one of them. The other, remember, is the Syrophoenician woman who comes begging Jesus to rescue her daughter from a demon. Both times, the people who come to Jesus are not Israelites. Both times the people were interceding for someone else. And both times the people knew that the power of Jesus was in the words that Jesus spoke, that he could heal, in other words, from a distance. And listen to how Jesus reacts to this man, to this centurion. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus turns to the centurion and says, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now this, this miracle will preach the authority of the Word of Jesus. It gives us the confidence that Jesus heals through the power, not through the power of His touch, but rather through the authority of His words. That Jesus speaks the Word and it's true. That Jesus says to sinners, I forgive you, and they are forgiven. That Jesus says to those who were enslaved by the devil, I set you free, and they are set free. That Jesus says to the damned, to those who deserve God's wrath, You are saved, and they are saved. Jesus says to the dying, You live, you have life everlasting, and we do. He says to the unholy, you are clean, and we are clean. He says to the ashamed, you are covered, and we are covered with His righteous, with His righteousness. He says to the fearful, heaven is open, and you have nothing to fear at all. And on the last day, Jesus will stand on the earth, and He'll say to our graves, open up, and they will open up. And to us, He will say, come forth and we will stand before him. Jesus has authority. Now, how the centurion knew that Jesus had such authority, we don't know. It was a gift of faith worked by the Holy Spirit. But we have that same faith. That Jesus has authority over sin and authority over death and authority over the devil. That he has authority to give life and to give life eternal. That he has the authority because of his death and his resurrection to rescue you and to deliver you. And he uses that authority. He he uses that authority on you right here in this place in the church. He uses it today. I mean, Remember how Jesus said it. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that Jesus, who has the authority to heal the centurion's servant, Jesus, who has the authority to to make the leper clean, clean, Jesus, who has the authority to forgive sins, he continues to use that authority here with you to bless you. To forgive your sins, to call you his own, to give you the the promise of eternal life, which only he can give, so that you can, with the centurion, so that you can one day recline at the table with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has the authority to do these things, he's won this authority by his death and his resurrection. And he uses his authority in his word. Someone told me before the service today, they said, hey, Pastor, uh, I was studying this week, or I heard today even, that, that when you pronounce the forgiveness of sins, it's Jesus who pronounces the forgiveness of sins. Indeed. His authority is brought to us to set us free and to give us life. And so, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you all your sins. Amen. And this peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.